0: You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Good morning. Hey, look, okay. Daylight savings. Is anybody feeling a little bit this morning? A little bit? Just just a just a tad, man. I you know it's bad when you when you like so I hit like the snooze on my alarm this morning. I fell asleep and I dreamed about sleeping again. That's how you know that it's not it's gonna be a rough morning with the rain. But listen, we're really glad you guys are here. Do me a favor, before we get going, I want you just to turn to the person sitting next to you and say, Hey pal, I'm glad you're here. Go ahead right now. Just all around the room. Hey pal, glad you're here. Yeah. Yeah. Man, we have the privilege <laughs> so you're really glad. Okay. All right. Hey, thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. <laughs> we have the privilege of gathering together in the name of Jesus and we get to do this freely. We get to be together today and celebrate the Lord, and that's uh that's a big deal. So we're in this series right now called Father of Faith, The Life and Legacy of Abraham. If you got a Bible, go ahead and turn it to Genesis fifteen, is where we're gonna be today. Genesis fifteen. While you're turning there, um let me set this up a little bit, sort of put us on the same page. Here's where we've been thus far. We're looking at Abraham, and we're looking at how God shows up in the life of this imperfect man and blesses him beyond his wildest dreams. And I said this last week, this is a really personal series for me, because I, Abraham is just one of those people in the Bible that his story resonates with me a lot. So I hope that by the end of this time together in this series, we're, we're going to just appreciate all the stuff that we, that we see present in this story. Now, I want to set this up a little bit, because today... We're going to dispel a popular American cultural myth that comes from biblical ignorance. And here's what it is. Um, the, a, lot of, a lot of people, that they, when they come to the Bible, a lot of people know, okay, like the Bible's in two sections, Old Testament and New Testament. And yet, for whatever reason, when, when they do that, they think, okay, God in the Old Testament is different from God in the New Testament right? So the belief goes something like this. It goes like, like, New Testament, oh, we are all about that version of God, right? Like, it's Jesus, like, love, mercy, grace, compassion, so awesome, and like, like, less of the, 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 the like, the, the brutal stuff, like, less violence, but when you go to Old Testament, a lot of people go like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable, because God's very judgmental. He spites, like, a lot in the Old Testament, and there's, and there's flame, and there's, there's, you know, God striking people with disease, even though it's in the New Testament as well, but like, like, Like Old Testament God is somehow different from New Testament God. Like they think, okay, Old Testament God, there's less grace and mercy and compassion. And New Testament God, something happened between the two of them and he just kind of calmed down a little bit. That's kind of how it goes. And today we're going to just get rid of that lie. We're going to get rid of that. Because what we're going to find is that in this story that we look at today, there is so much grace and so much compassion and so much mercy, it's going to blow our minds. So we're going to have fun. All right, now. To get us on the same page with where we are in Abraham's life. We, at this point in his life, he's still known as Abraham. And where he's been, God has shown up in his life. He's told him, leave everything behind to go to a land that I will show you. And so he goes. And we saw how he has to learn how to trust God. He's in the beginning phases of this. We saw him last week in a huge, 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 huge sin and a huge, huge, huge mistake. He gave his wife away to the Egyptian Pharaoh, and God had to intervene and bring her back and save her. I mean, it was just a crazy story, and we saw how God shows up in the lives of imperfect people. We're going to see that some more today. So, a little bit more to understand. God promises Abram, he shows up in his life when he's 75, Abram has no children, and he says to him, listen, I'm going to give land to your descendants, and Abram at that time was like, wow, my prayers have been answered. But now time goes on, and still no kids. And he starts to wonder, okay, like you know, did, did I hear wrong, or 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 maybe like I misunderstood, and so his his hopes just start to come down a little bit. I don't know if you've ever been there with your faith, where you remember when, like when you first came to know Jesus, and it seemed like every prayer that you had was answered, and there's this sort of euphoria, right? Like like wow, like the supernatural God is real, and He's here, and and man, and that's awesome. And then time kind of goes on, and and and. God doesn't necessarily answer the prayers in the way that you hope that He would, and disappointment starts to, to set in. and You start to pray a little bit less, and you start to pray a little less bold because you, you think, like, oh, maybe, maybe I misunderstood. I, I remember the, the sort of a breaking moment for me with that. So I came to Christ uh, in a very, very charismatic uh, Pentecostal circle, um, and and, uh, I, I, and it's not that I ascribe to a theology of okay, everybody's going to be healed. I, I don't believe that, but at the time that I, I did, and I remember um, I had an aunt who, uh, in her 40s, had contracted or developed uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, and uh, and I began to watch as as her her body and her functions began to erode and go uh, more and more away, and and so I praying in faith for her, you know. And she prayed in faith as well. And we believed that God was going to do a miracle. And I'll never forget getting the phone call from my father telling me, hey, your your aunt has passed on. And my response to that was not immediately one of grief. That that came, but my response was more of a, huh. Because it was like a, a theological mind shift where suddenly I was like, well, that's not how God's supposed to act. And I believe that and, and because I had this hope and God didn't do things in alignment with my hope. There are just moments where you're gonna find that where okay, like I I believe God should act this way and for whatever reason he doesn't. And that's where we are in Abram's life when this story picks up. He's been waiting and waiting and waiting for God to act, and God hasn't. And so let's see what happens now. Genesis fifteen, starting in verse one, it says this. Okay. It says i uh oh, sorry, my bad keep going why not there we go all right do not be afraid abram this is what god says to him i am your shield your very great reward continues but abram said sovereign lord what can you give me since i remain child you hear the heartbreak in his voice like okay god it, that, that's great that you're telling me i'm there for you I'll, I'll protect you i'm your reward what's it matter and he's not disrespectful. Like, he calls him sovereign lord. Like, he has a reverence for God, but it's it's kind of this place of, like, okay, they're just words. Okay? Like, it's nice that, that you say, like, oh, I'm there for you, and it's this sort of intellectual, like, yeah, I believe God exists or whatever. But, okay, at the end of the day, like, Abram lives in a culture where if he doesn't have kids, his legacy is dead when he is. And so, and so he believes, like, okay, well, that's great that you say it to me, but what's it matter? I have no kids. I am childless. He continues. He says... And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. Eleazar is his chief servant because that's how culturally it worked. If you died and you didn't have kids, it next went to your, your, your chief of, of servants in your house. So, he continues. And Abram said, you, you've given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. In other words, God, where are you? Like, it's nice that you, you say that you like me. It's nice that you say you want to be there for me, but I, I just don't see it. And so here's how God responds to that. Then the word of the Lord came to him. No, 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 this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And this next part, this is one of these stories in the Bible. The next few lines, they're one of these moments where it's something that is so important the biblical authors will, will come back to it again and again and again. Like, it, listen, I believe that all of the Bible is equally inspired. I believe it's all the word of God, 100 percent, but there are stories that are more important than others, chiefly Jesus' cross and resurrection. But there are other moments where like, it's, just, it's the defining moment that the rest of biblical writers and authors and moments will, will refer back to and, and react to. This is one of these moments, So it's really, really joning because this is a really important part of the story of the whole of Scripture and it says this OK. So he took him outside. So God takes Abram outside and said, "Look up at the sky." And count the stars, if indeed you can count. And I know for us, we're like, that, what, what's the big deal with that? So, you know, like, like we're used to, to light pollution. We're used to clouds and what have you. So, like, we're like, okay, it's you know, night sky, whatever. But you have to understand, like, where he is, and can like, it's just, it's this desert sky that's just, the sky is so filled with stars. It, it's impossible to count the number. You, just, you, sort of, you look at it, and he's out in the middle of nowhere. And he has that sort of, like, sense of awe, like, wow, well, I'm looking at the universe, you know. And that's what he's saying, okay, like, count the stars, even if you, you can, knowing you can't. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. Okay, Abram, you want to understand how many people are going to come from you. More than you can count. And, and, and looking back with the hindsight of history, we know that's true. Right? That, that the, the Jewish and Muslim people, like they all come from Abram. I mean, there's so many people that come from this guy. And we would say that he's our spiritual father as well. I and mean, they all come from this one man. And this next part, okay? This next line, I want us to zone in on because it is a crux of biblical theology. It is just such an important idea in the Bible that if we miss it, we kind of miss the, the big scope of Scripture. And so, so God says, listen, I'm going to bless you with more descendants than you can count. And here's the next part. And Abram believed the Lord. And he, talking about God, credited it to him as righteousness. I'm going to read that again. Okay, And so Abram believed the Lord. So he looks at... He looks at the scope, okay, like, God says, I'm going to do this, and, and he goes, okay, I believe you. And God, in response to that, credited it to him as righteousness, meaning God looked at him and said, in response to your faith, I'm going to give you something that you haven't deserved, right? We know about Abram thus far, he's not a righteous guy fair to say right like I mean the the faithlessness with like giving his wife like he's not in a place where god should do anything and yet what we find is he trusts he believes the lord and god goes all right i'm going to give you something you haven't earned because here's the thing how many of you does know there is a difference between believing in god and believing god you understand that? There's a difference between okay, like okay, I you know, theoretically I believe that God exists. I believe that that God is real, and believing okay, like God, if you say something is going to happen, I I believe it. It, it will. Like when we when we approach the pages of Scripture and we hold up this book and we're like, okay, like do I really think this is true? Do I really believe, okay, if I live my life in a certain way, these are going to be the consequences or blessings? Like, Do I really believe that, okay, what I see here is trustworthy? And that's what we find with Abram. He's going, okay, listen, I I have nothing to prove it, but I believe you. Okay, God, you know what? I trust you. And God's response to that, he goes, okay, I'm going to treat you as a righteous man. I'm going to treat, like, you know, we all have sort of this, this vision in our heads of scales, right? And we think, okay, like, if we load enough good on the good scale, God should bless us. If we load enough bad on the bad scale, God shouldn't, right? And sort of, that's how we think of God. And, God, and, God, and it's there's something in us that does this. And God goes, oh, listen, I'm going to treat you as though the good scale is full, even though it's not. God credited to him righteousness. This is the beginning of understanding how to relate to God. When we talk about this idea of Abraham being, like his story, being the beginning of God's redemption for creation, this is how it starts. This is what's at the epicenter of how God relates to people. If God's going to save people, if God's going to change us, if God's going to redeem us from the effects of sin and death, it starts right here. It doesn't start, and let's just check this, it doesn't start with us doing something for God. And this is where many of us think, okay, like I'll go to church, I'll, I'll be in a Bible study, I'll pray X amount of hours, I'll read X amount of things, I'll join a group, I'll do all this thing. And we think, okay, like, if I do that, God must respond to me a certain way. Like, God must save me if I'm a good enough person. If I'm, if, if I'm dedicated enough, God must behave towards me like this. But here's the thing to understand. That's not how it works. I'll give you an example. Here's the blunt words of Jesus in John 6, as he's, as he's talking to a group of people who thought they could impress God with their own righteousness. He goes, you understand what it looks like to work for God? He says in John 6, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Okay, like, if you want to understand what you can do for God, you believe in the person He sent. I'm talking about himself. If you want to understand, like, how am I made right with God? It's not by you doing all these things. It's by you believing on Christ. Believing that he will save you because he said that he would. If you believe, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, or 10, 9 if you believe that, that God in, in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Not because you've earned it, but because you believe in the one that he sent. This is the idea here, folks. Again, in Romans 5 1, it says it like this Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this word here, justified, in the Greek, you know what it literally means? Declared righteous. Like this idea, okay? You know, I, I, we've been justified, like we've been declared righteous with God through faith in Jesus. You know how you get peace with God? Because that's what everybody's looking for. Okay, what do I do to make God happy? What do I do to make God accept me? It's not through a sacrament. It's not through a service. It's not through a, 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 a religious ritual. It comes from one place, Jesus. It, like you are made right with God, not through your own actions, but through what Jesus has done for you and so abraham believed god and god credited it to him as righteousness our story continues in in verse seven he also said to him talking about god god said to abram i am the lord who brought you out of ur of the chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Now here's, again, we're going to watch as Abram's heart begins to be developed because he doesn't fully trust God yet. So, okay, he, he, he believes him about the kid stuff, but for whatever reason, not necessarily the land stuff. And so Abram said, okay, but sovereign Lord, and look at this word here. And how many of us ask this question? Okay, but how can I know? How can I know? Like how many of us, okay, we, we go through life and we're like, okay, but... God, I, I hear that you're saying you want to do this, but how, how can I know that? How can I, like his question is ours, okay? How can I know that I will gain possession of it? And that's such a bold, radical prayer that, that most of us would scoff at and be like, that's, that, that's kind of immature. Like God has just said, I'm going to do this. And you're like, yeah, but how can I know that it's true? And you would expect God to rebuke him for it, wouldn't you? Like you would expect God to be like, well, man, you faithless one, now, now I'm going to spite you. But I've learned something, and I am learning something, that there are times that we pray things we, that aren't the most mature things, and yet in our, like we pray bold things in moments that we, that we don't know not to pray them. And I find on more than one occasion God answers those prayers. We're going to see him do it with Abram, like, more than, than Abram could possibly imagine. But but I, I just had that in my life as well. There's times, like, I, I can think back on when I was first walking with Jesus, and I would pray things that, that the, the sort of cynic in me would scoff at and say, don't pray that. That's so, that's wasting God's time. And yet, for whatever reason, God intervenes. I'll, I'll give you an example. So, uh, when, when I was 15, I came into Jesus. I, I was raised a preacher's kid. Uh, I had a hard heart. Like, a, like Jesus intervened in my, life, in my life in a really radical way, showed up and saved me. Um, and I remember walking with, with God for the first time because up until then I always thought God was somebody that you meet when you die. But I didn't know, like I could know Him in this life, and so I'm walking through. I'm, I'm, I'm reading the scriptures, and the words are just like jumping off the page to me, and and the Holy Spirit is, is making Himself just so uh, I, I'm just making He's making Himself so visible to me like I'm just aware of His presence, you know. And 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 not long after I started walking with the Lord, I had a girlfriend that broke up with me. Teenage drama. I don't know if you you know this or not but but teenagers are kind of hormonal and um and I remember having this this day at church where I went and I was and I was I was praying and I I don't know like again this is the thing that I would not advise someone to pray but it's just a bold prayer and said, so, "God, will you show me my wife?" Which is like really guy, that's the big thing you're going to like not world peace, not my wife. okay, but then like like show me my wife. Okay. I will never forget this um because as I, I, I pray that, and I have an image flash in my head. And I see this, this girl, and she's beautiful, and she's got dark brown hair, and she's wearing this tank top, and it's, it's really, really, I mean, it's it's awesome. And I have two thoughts go through my head. First, one, I'm like, good work, God. All right. That's nice. Okay. And two, 2 I'm like, was that real? Like, did just, like what was it, my imagination or what have you? So flash forward about a year or two years, Started dating the girl who would become my wife in high school. We're high school sweethearts, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I'll never forget, like you know, when, when you're in school, they have yearbook photos. You remember that, right? And so, and then, and then, the, the, what you do is you, you buy the copies of the photos to give to people in case they forget what she look like, you know. So, um, so, so my, that's sarcasm. So, um, uh, so, so my girlfriend, uh, who would become my wife. One day, hands me her yearbook photo, and it's a photo that I've kept in my wallet ever since. And here's what it was. Bring it. Yeah, that's the exact picture I saw in my head before I even met her, like like to a T. And and okay, I know a couple of things. Some of you are like, "Wow, your wife doesn't age." I know it's crazy, <laughs> but but I tell you that. Story, because the same God who intervened and spoke to me in, in, in a moment that clearly was not the most mature thing that I have ever done still spoke, and we 're going to find that with Abram as well what like okay like God, how can I know if what God says to him is so powerful, I just I pray that we don 't miss it today so let's let 's continue our story so all right, so verse uh nine here's I so the Lord said to him, all right, so how can I know? well bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram. each three years old along with a dove and a young pigeon. He continues. So Abram brought all these to him, cut them into two and arranged them and have so They're like, oh my gosh, what, 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 the, what in the world's going on, right? Because God didn't tell him to do that like, god just said just bring me a ram and abram's like hey, got slaughtered boom okay so just to understand like when god tells him right bring me these things culturally abram instantly understands what's happening and anybody who would have been part of the original audience of genesis would instantly understand what's happening it's a little bit lost on us but this is just such a clear dumb moment it would be kind of like if i said to you all right listen bring me some peanut butter some jelly some bread and a knife you would get what i'm asking you to do right Okay, so, so here's what's happening, all right? Abram lives in, 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 a, in a culture that, that's very, it's about oral tradition and spoken things because not everybody can read and write. And so, listen, if you were to, if you were to sort of hold somebody to the, their promise, like for us what we would do is we would have a contract, right? Like, I mean, think about when, when you get married, Okay, it's bigger than just two people saying, all right, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. There's a spiritual aspect, but also there's a legal one. Like if you say, all right, listen, I'm going to be there for you for the rest of my life, the next thing you do is you sign a piece of paper so that if you're not, they can take half your stuff. <laughs> Truth. Truth, okay? But because, it's, listen, there's more than just words involved. Okay, so what do you do in a culture where people can't read and write? Well, here's what they would do. They would enact what's called a covenant. And a covenant went something like this. What you'd do is you would slaughter animals. And you'd place, si- like, uh, you'd place them on each side of you. And then the people who were part of the covenant would walk down the middle of them. And it was a way of saying this. And it would be something that could be referred back to at any point. And other people would see. And they'd be witnesses stuff. It would be a way of saying this. Okay, listen. May I suffer the same fate as these animals if I don't keep my word. Okay, listen, if, if okay, I I'm agreeing to do something with you. I'm agreeing to enter into a relationship with you, and if I don't, let me be killed like these animals. It's a big bloody picture. By the way, if we did that. Man, I think people keep their, their word a lot more today. But but that's what's going on here. So he cuts them in half, and then and it's such a sacred moment for him. Let's watch how he responds. So, so the birds, however, he did not cut in half. It continues. So and then birds of prey came down to the carcass, but Abram drove them away. So he has these carcasses, and because this is such a sacred thing, Abram's like, get out of here, birds, because he understands like this is sacred to God, but he lives in a broken world. And so here's the next thing that happens. So at verse 12, and as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him, uh, meaning he starts to understand the gravity of what he's about to walk into. If he's going to make a covenant with God, the God, who he has seen deliver him from the hands of his enemies, like the God who, if he he snaps his fingers, the entire creation goes away, that's kind of scary. I mean, like if he breaks his end of the covenant, then God could obliterate him as well. So he becomes terrified. Because he knows, okay, God could smite me for what I'm doing. I'm asking him for faithfulness, but if I'm not faithful, then what could happen is God could take me out. But what happens next? I'm I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you haven't been paying attention, come back in, because this next moment is so powerful, you will never read this story the same way again if you didn't know about it. This next part is so, so important. That I pray none of us misses it today. Okay, So jump on down to verse 17. So, so Abram, he decides to make this covenant with God. Here's what happens. We'll jump on down to 17. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Let's pause here for a moment. Um, so when the sun sets, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, Fun fact for you, scholars are divided over what the heck this is talking about. Like when it comes down to it, like what does it mean like, like blazing fire pot and, and, and torch? Like, like are we translating that the right way because these words are kind of obscure? Like what's that all about? So just full ownership, we don't know. But we do know something, okay? This, this phrase right here, when we talk about the smoke and the blaze, like the blazing fire, we've seen these before. In fact, we've seen these words at really, really crucial biblical moments. Let me tell you where. For instance, Mount Sinai. When the presence of God comes down on the mountain and he speaks to his people and he enters into a covenant with them, how does he show up? Smoke and fire. Right? Same words. When the Israelites are at the cusp of the Red Sea, there, you know, before Pharaoh's army, like, wants, like Pharaoh's army wants to ascend on them and they haven't crossed the sea yet, and God hasn't saved them, right before God does a saving thing for them, how does He show up? Smoke and fire. With Elijah, you know, at Mount Carmel, when he calls the, the, like, on the presence of God, how does God's presence? Well, that blazing fire consumes him. I mean, you see with the temple as well, over and over and over again, what we see, the presence of God, the way he typically manifests himself in the old covenant pre-Christ is there's this blazing fire and there's this thick smoke. And it's the same words that we see right here. And so you've got this moment. Okay, God is going to enact a covenant of faithfulness with Abram. And you would expect Abram to walk through, but he doesn't. Instead, God himself comes down and walks between the pieces, which is why in verse 18 it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, I want to just hammer home how critical this is. Because what should happen with any covenant arrangement is, okay, Like so we see, the, we see the, the, the blazing fire and the smoke go through between the pieces. We should then see Abram walk through. But he doesn't. In fact, God never asks him to. And here's what that means. I just need you to catch this, okay? Eyes up. Listen, here's what he's saying in that moment. his presence goes through, and he's basically saying this, Abram, if I don't keep my faithfulness to you, if I don't keep my promise, may I be cut off and killed like these animals. But, but, Abram, 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 if you don't keep your end, if you don't keep your promise, if you don't stay faithful, may I be cut off and killed like these animals. I mean, there is no other way to read that text. Guys, 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 that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That God loves you and loves me so much that even in our faithless he has walked down into the world his presence has come in in the person of Jesus and he has taken the penalty for your sins and mine he has died for our faithlessness and how many times how many times have I stood at my own moment with the the pieces in front of me and I, and I can see the presence of God, and I can see how He's shown up in my life. And how many times have I, have I seen those pieces in front of me, and I said, No, 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 God, I'll walk through. No, 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 like, like, okay, I can't ask you to do that. I can't ask you to take the penalty for my stuff. It should be me. Like, what it should be is I should suffer because I know how bad I've been. I know how good you've been. So, So what should happen is I should be punished. I should, like, I should be judged. I should be hated. I should feel all this guilt. I should feel all this shame. Like, let me go through. Let me suffer the consequences for my sin. And God looks at me and he goes, no, I'm not asking you to do that. No, it's not like, 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 let me take it, let me go through, because that's who he is. How many of you, 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 you walk through life and you go, all right, listen, I believe that Jesus died for me, but now let me earn my place on the team. Now, okay, like, I believe that he sacrificed for me, but now let me just, let me just sort of, you know, like, if it's a basketball team, let me prove myself to the coach. Let me just show how good that I am, and that's not the covenant. The covenant was never you walking through. The covenant was never it coming on you. It was all on him. And that's Old Testament and that's gospel. And I think, okay, well, maybe, maybe if I just make myself feel worse, that will somehow please God. Anybody else ever done that? Like you do something you knew was wrong, and you know, I don't quite feel as guilty as I should. So I'll just, I'll just, I'll just twist my own arm and I'll, and I'll keep telling God all the reasons he should reject me. And he's going, I'm not looking for a reason to reject you. I'm not looking for a reason to condemn you. I've already died in your place. I've already suffered the consequences for you, and I did it voluntarily. We have a really hard time with this. We like a God that we can earn our standing with, but that's not the God of the Bible. What could you possibly add to God? What could you possibly give Him? No, no. More and more as I study the scriptures, I become convinced that the Bible is a story of God's charity towards me. And I have a problem with that because I don't want charity. Right? How many of us? Like when we were raised. Now you earn your keep. You provide for yourself. Gentlemen, right? Man, we provide. That's what we do. There's something in the soul of a man that says that. And yet what we find is this. The Bible is a story of God giving us something that we could not ever earn. He's walked through for us. And I know that's hard. And some of us, like what we want to do is, is we, want to, we, want to, we want to serve God because we think that will make him happy. It doesn't work that way. You know, I remember years ago, I sitting down, I was having coffee with a woman who, who had decided she was going to follow the Jewish law, like all, all 600 plus commands. Now, to be clear, there's not a worse reading of the Bible you can have, because like when you come to the New Testament, there are entire, not, not, not verses, they are entire books telling you not to do that. But here she was, and she was going like, this is what I've got to do, and like, because, because this is how I'll serve God, this is how I'll honor him, and I'm just going over again, and I'm going like, do you understand that it's already fulfilled in Christ? Like, you understand, like, okay, like, just like it was credited to Abram because he believed God, it's credited to you. Jesus' faithfulness to God is given to you. You don't have to live under that shackle. And she came to this point, I'll never, guys, I will never forget this, where she, like, it was almost like I could see the light just starting to come on a little bit. And she just went, well, but, but how will I make God happy? And that's the question for some of like, what, what what can I do to make God happy? And I said, he's already happy in Christ. Jesus has done more for you than you could ever do for yourself. And he's given you his standing with God. And I know that's hard. I know. I know because, because what we want is just sort of black and white. We want I do this and God should give me that. And so to, 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 for me to even suggest that this is all about grace seems a little radical. For me to suggest, that, okay, listen, um, it's as simple as you believe God and he credits to you as righteousness. Okay, you believe Jesus died for your sin, you believe he rose from the dead, guess what, you have peace with God? That seems a little too simple, and there are some of us who are going, that's too simple. No, it can't be that simple. It can't be that good, to which I would say I prepared a simple thing for you today, a simple, memorable statement that if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're going, like, it just can't be that good. Here's, here's what I want you to know, okay? It is that good. It is. It is as simple as that. You believe him. He gives you because he has taken it all on himself. Romans 5, 8, Paul writes it like this. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Meaning while we were furthest from God, while we were at the pinnacle of rebellion, while we wanted nothing to do with him, you know what God did for us? Christ died for us. He died in our place so that we could be made right with God. That's how crazy God is about you. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God wants you. Why? Because it's who he is. It's not about you. And so I got one question for you. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? That He died for you so that you didn't have to die. That he took the judgment of God on him so that it didn't have to fall on you. Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? If so, then you have peace with God. And you can know him. And you can walk with him. Because it is that good. It is that simple. That is the covenant. That is his promise. He will never leave you. Or forsake you. So today if you would say that you don't know Jesus. And you're not walking in a relationship with him. But you want to. Pray with me. And let's watch what he does. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Here's what we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to save me. God, I, I confess I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. Lord, I believe that Jesus died in my place and that you raised him from the dead so that I can begin a new life with you. So please come into my life and show me how to walk with you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. 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 Bless you guys. We'll see you all next week.